Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Spencer Marr. He is president at Sanga Systems. We're going to talk to him a little bit about the work that they're doing in cannabis and kind of an interesting play coming out of energy and, and really kind of looking at what goes into these cultivation setups, the companies, the operations that actually focus on the cultivation side, uh, and some of the work they're now doing actually in the cultivation space in terms of really helping cultivators think about operationally, how do they set up the grows, uh, some of the dynamics, some of the cost infrastructure, some really interesting ideas and kind of um, approaches that they're taking. So interesting kind of angle and should be a really interesting conversation. Uh, I always like to kind of find different facets of the cannabis industry to explore, and, and this is definitely one of them. So with that, Spencer, welcome to the program. Thanks, Bruce. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so let's learn a little bit more about you and background, and then we can kind of hear how you kind of got into the cannabis space. But what's the backstory? Give us a sense of your journey and and what you've been doing. Sure. So I'll I'll try to be brief. So I was a practicing lawyer in New York City for about five years, 
in the commercial litigation space, actually with a focus on insurance law. That's only relevant because in 2016, an opportunity came up to go work for Sustainable CUNY, the City University of New York, under a federal Department of Energy grant, where I got to focus on energy policy, in particular, how to create certain price signals through insurance markets related to energy resilience. So there's a renewable energy and an energy storage component to all that. So that was throughout 2016 and 2017. I met my partner in Sangha Systems, Lars LaSalle, uh, who's a professional engineer and just a brilliant engineer who knows how to really think through advanced creative energy system solutions. So our grant came to, and he was then working for the National Renewable Energy Lab. We collaborated, we wrote some papers. As the grant was coming to an end at the end of 2017, it coincided with the moonshot rise to $20,000 per Bitcoin. And so we sort of came to understand the immense opportunity, much less so on speculating on the price of Bitcoin, but really selling Bitcoin miners the picks and shovels. Yeah, exactly. When you come to understand that industry, 90% of the operational costs, sometimes more than 90% of the operational costs that go in setting up, essentially these are just a sub form of data centers, is the cost of electricity. You know, that was in, let's let's say that's January of 2018. We had no idea what that was going to look like as as a business model. We just had the raw hunch, the sort of light bulb moment that hey, these are sites that are going to use a lot of electricity. How do we build infrastructure projects? Uh, Well, actually, we didn't know then. We just said, where is there opportunity here? So then we we sort of got, finally started to find our sea legs. And we realized that what we're very good at is site selection and power infrastructure development. Though it began with a focus on cryptocurrency mining, we soon realized that it applied the same sort of business acumen and focus on site selection and, and procuring the cheapest electricity possible had as much applicability into the cannabis cultivation space. Yeah. So then we we started to get excited. Now you fast forward, it's two and a half years later, we're very excited about co-locating cryptocurrency mining facilities with cannabis cultivation under the right set of circumstances. But we really focus on the upstream site selection and infrastructure development to provide that infrastructure as a service to operators of these facilities, whether that's someone who knows how to manage the day-to-day operations of a data center, if it's a licensed cannabis cultivation uh, group. And so really for us, the commonality is energy, particularly renewable energy, and ideally very low cost, sub four cent a kilowatt hour energy rate procurement. Uh, And that's a function of your retail supply arrangement. It's what you're building behind the meter in your physical renewable energy assets. Though we have that focus on on energy, we also can at this point masquerade as very knowledgeable cannabis operators and cryptocurrency mining operators. Both spaces are still so new and there's still so many ideas being tried out and thought through. We're happy to be along for the ride and we have learned so much about um, different methods methodologies for cultivating that we sort of think of it all as, especially in the cannabis cultivation space, you know, if this is a commodity industry, what you really want to do is drive down your operational costs. We're just one piece of that, which is the energy consumption. You know, there's other stuff we could get into related to what's the smartest way to grow, but it's really to keep your cost of production down so that as 
margins get tight in this commodity industry, yeah. you're able to survive. Yeah, yeah. And so tell us a little bit about what goes into actual like site selection process. Like when you say, you know, experts in site selection, what are the factors that you're looking at or what, what's the information that you're kind of, you know, stra- analyzing and developing strategies around, you know, whether whether it's for cryptocurrency, you know, bit mining or, you know, cannabis cultivation? Sure, sure. You know, the, it, the part of the answer is it, of course, depends. It depends on the scale you're looking for, you know, whether you are sort of geographically tied or if you're agnostic as to where you set up your operation. It's easier for us in the cryptocurrency mining space because, for example, you don't have the constraint of being in a legalized market. Basically, wherever there's cheap power is where the mm-hmm. cryptocurrency miners want to go. So there's that consideration in the cannabis cultivation space, but there's an overlay with obviously other considerations. You want to be close to the market you want to sell into, you want to be close to a labor force, you want cheap real estate, etc. And so we know how to look for those things, but primarily really the, if I had to name a single sort of trade-off, an aspect of our approach that is our secret sauce, maybe not so secret, just special sauce, is that... In most instances where you have a utility connection, there's a trade-off between your privately owned substation or your privately owned electrical infrastructure, I should say, Mm -hmm. which allows you to take your power from the utility at a higher voltage. And usually a higher voltage means a lower rate. And it's a very simple concept. When a utility has to do more of your infrastructure build-out for you um, to step your power all the way down to a usable voltage of, let's say, 208 volts, 240 volts. In some industrial facilities, it's 480. The further that they have to build out for you, they amortize that back into your rate, and you're getting fixed in that rate insofar as you're accessing a particular tariff. So, for example, we uh, are the operators of an 82-megawatt facility in central Illinois. It's a decommissioned steel mill. We have an 82-megawatt privately owned substation, which allows us to draw out power from the utility at over 100 kilovolts. And that's a very specialized tariff structure that keeps payments to the distribution utility to essentially 0.8 cents, while the rest is all the energy commodity. So our effective all-in rate is about 3.8, 3.9 cents. Wow, that's low. Wow. Yeah, it's that's that's world class low, and and to find that you know in North America is pretty tough. So there's a bunch there's a bunch more that goes into it for a follow up conversation, but it's trade off on infrastructure to get you to the rate where you want to be. Yeah, yeah. So you're you're basically taking over that cost so that you can you know hopefully you you can do it you know as a one time capital cost at a better rate than you would otherwise pay on a at a you know over time on a on a higher higher per kilowatt hour rate. Yeah, or or actually, ideally, what we're good at is finding sites that have that that infrastructure for you. So there's a lot of distressed real estate situations across the country that have existing sort of points of demarcation with the existing utility. So we're able to come in and, and we actually can even mitigate the infrastructure costs by riding on what someone else built. Uh, you know, 20 years ago. Yeah, so you can basically leverage leverage unused assets that are out there right now. That's right. Yeah, and so now you know, tell us about how how this kind of confluence of bit mining and cultivation kind of come into play. You know, around this kind of energy question, why why do these things end up being you know paired together in in your world? Yeah, yeah. So that's probably the part that we've been most excited about exploring. You know, we all sit around and sort of geek out about the possibilities here. You know, to put it. Simply, really what you're dealing with in a cryptocurrency mining situation is a giant mousetrap where you're doing your best to take thermodynamics into consideration. So you have electrical input into your mining hardware 
And all of that computational load, which is, it's, you can imagine, they look like vacuum cleaners, but they're just, they're application-specific integrated circuits, ASICs mm -hmm. is what you call yep. cryptocurrency miners. And they run, typically one machine ranges from about 1,500 watts to as much as 3,500 watts per machine. That's a wow. lot of density of computational load. So what do you get? A lot of exhaust heat, hot, dry air, steadily 24-7 being, you need to put it somewhere, you need to exhaust it, you actually start to stress the machines themselves if you don't do a good job of dissipating that heat. So much focus has gone in within the data center industry and the cryptocurrency mining industry. There's a, a lot of smart folks thinking about how to engineer, for example, liquid immersion cooling environments or who are looking to engineer, you know, fancier mousetraps, essentially. It might be air-cooled, it might be liquid-cooled, hydro-cooled. But nonetheless, you get an immense amount of exhaust heat, which happens to be part of what is needed for our cultivation facility yeah. across the board, right? So the steady supply of hot, dry air allows you to do any number of things. You can just directly duct that heat into your grow space to control temperature. And you can, of course, toggle it according to the needs at any given moment in time. Yeah. Or you can actually take that heat and run a desiccant wheel to get your mechanical HVAC systems uh, powered. So for us, it's all about heat recapture and energy recapture to identify what we've sort of looked at as micro efficiencies to improve on your operational bottom line. Yeah, so you're really kind of the output of one system becomes the input of the next system, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, daisy chaining these things together. Exactly. Yeah. So at our yeah. Illinois facility, actually, we just we just supported a group who put in a craft cultivation license in Illinois. Who uh -huh. was, so at our facility that I mentioned, uh, it's an old steel mill. There's a bunch of abandoned properties that we've been in the process of refurbishing. There are different stages of refurbishing. But we began to ask the question, well, with all of that, in, if the fundamental input is that 3.8, 3.9 cent power, and that runs the, the cryptocurrency mine, wouldn't it be interesting to take that heat that's coming off of it and flow it into you know, an indoor grow facility? And so once we sort of presented that idea to everyone, no one could figure out a reason why not to do that. Yeah. And so, so we, uh, we just put in an application, it's, you know, it's pending with the state of Illinois to, you know, to build that facility for this group. And we're excited. That would be the first use case actually on the ground of, and to our knowledge, no one else has really thought of this. When that's just for an indoor facility, you could you could apply the same concept uh, concept into you know into greenhouse environments, what have you. Yeah, yeah. You're basically just using the heat that's coming off of the bit mining to either use as directly as heat or to drive uh, mechanical and turn it back into mechanical energy or electrical energy of some sorts. And what is the real impact? I mean, if you look at the financial model for you know on either side, you know what what is the cost savings on the uh, mining side and what is the savings on the cultivation side if you can successfully transfer this heat and, and make the system work? Yeah, so that's a good question. I would actually answer, sort of, I would, I would back up and answer by saying we're amazed, we're consistently amazed at the way most cannabis operators really look at their cost of electricity as nothing but a line item expense and don't realize they can gain competitive advantage in low or no cost ways simply by being a little bit more sophisticated on their site selection. And that's why site selection becomes such a So you can save, I mean, if we're at 3.8 cents because we have this industrial facility in Illinois, yeah. you can go a few miles down the road and simply by not having that same high voltage connection to the utility, you can be paying five and a half, six, six and a half cents. And once you are in the doors paying all that, you know, month over month, 
that's a major cost savings. It never ends, right? So you, for yeah. every kilowatt hour, you're paying yeah. sometimes twice as much. Or let's just say on average, 50% more. Well, you know, you could take the exact same two facilities that could have the same staffing, the same exact footprint. They could be run equally well. Which one is going to survive as margins compress? So there's more savings in that. The savings to be found from the heat recapture are typically in the 5 to 10% range. They're not yep. nearly as impactful as just being smart on the site selection. But, you know, again, in our view, every percent or even fraction of a percent matters in this game. Um, you know, yeah, it, well, it, especially in cultivation. Exactly. I mean, you, you're gonna just, it's going to be a game of pennies. And what, um, I mean, how much do cultivation facilities use in terms of power? I mean, give us a, just a, a, you know, raw raw power numbers and then, you know, what it means in terms of costs and, you know, percents of budgets and things like that. I'm just kind of curious, you know, how it factors into the operational considerations. That's a good question. So I'm think there's obviously a widespread because it's going to be very much dependent upon the size of the license. But I'll give you a, a, an example. We're working on, we have a great relationship with a group in Michigan that was just awarded its license and is now in its design and engineering phase on its cultivation facility. And so they were awarded a 20,000 or maybe it's 22,000 square foot uh, license. And so we are talking to them about building a megawatt of solar behind the meter to supplement what will ultimately be a demand of about a megawatt and a half. And, and, and so the way that power system is generally articulated is you build, you right size your infrastructure for your peak demand at any given moment in time. So if you have a megawatt and a half of a facility, that doesn't mean you're running that much energy around the clock and that, that gets into your megawatt hour rate. It just means that you know, it's you, as you build, you need to right size the infrastructure. So that's a sort of a good, I would say that's a middle sized, you know, medium sized license, 20,000 square foot. And you're talking about a, about a meg and a half worth of capacity. You know, applying a 12 cent, I'd have to, I'd have to sort of do this mental math. Um, <laughs> but applying, so if you assume that in Michigan, you can't get energy as cheap as you can in Illinois, let's assume it's about um, an $80 per megawatt hour rate just from the local utility. Michigan is just not a state that is as friendly to energy dereg deregulation as Illinois is. So $80 a megawatt hour, let's say you're using an average of 750 kilowatts. So I could do it. I could do it on a calculator. I mean, it's substantial. I do it for you. you. In the end, I mean, your annual numbers wind up being that your annual spend for electricity is in the hundreds of thousands of dollars range. Yeah, so this is not a small number. No, I'm, it's it's a significant number. So you know, any savings against your sort of baseline, your default, which is just your commercial rate from your utility, really are go right to the bottom line and in, in an impactful way. Yeah. No. Exactly. And that's. I mean, that's the game with the, uh, you know, when you, you start getting into a commodity situation, which certainly all the cultivators, you know, the vast majority of cultivators either are or will be soon, you know, is that uh, you you can't raise prices, right? That's the problem with a commodity, right? Your prices are pretty fixed and it's all a game of how low can I go on the cost side of it while still maintaining quality. And, and this seems like, look, I, it's, it's not like you're buying you're buying poor quality energy. <laughs> the energy's the energy, right? If you can just get it at a lower rate, it still does the same thing. That's right. And and like and then that's you know, we obviously our preferences, our sort of ideological bent is on supplying that cheaper energy with a smartly designed uh, renewable energy system. But it doesn't, you know, we recognize that in many cases 
what is the more practical decision is simply to engage us or some of the energy brokers that we work with just to negotiate with the utility. Again, many utilities will not advertise this fact, but you're allowed to decline to take the service that is available right at your doorstep if what you would you prefer to do is spend the capex to tap into the distribution you know, system at a higher voltage so that you can access the more favorable tariff structure. Really? So, so, you know, and that's just the type of, you know, again, that comes from for so long, we we have thought of the energy system as a sort of a, a nuisance that we have to pay if we want electricity. But there are real competitive advantage uh, advantages you can you can find by thinking through this a bit, you know, with a bit more sophistication. Yeah. Well, and it's something I'm sure, you know, for an individual operator who's basically goes through this once, it, it may not be something you are a master at, but you know, as, as someone who does this again and again and again, you know how the system works. That's right. So let's talk a little bit about some of the renewable side. I mean, how does renewable play into this? Have you seen renewable being applied? I know, you know, every, everyone's trying to, you know, save money, but also, you know, there's a pretty strong movement in the cannabis space to be, you know, sustainable and, and, and kind of really think bigger picture on this, you know, trying to create an industry that's you know, kind of helping the world in, in lots of different ways. Is renewable really an option here? How have you seen it being applied? Yeah, for sure. And actually increasingly so. So, you know, we're talking, it's it's May 2020. We're in this new COVID reality, post, or yeah. kind of, I would say post-COVID, but we're mid-COVID. And, yeah. <laughs> I, um, hope, I hope we're mid-COVID. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so, and so why that's relevant is it's no longer the case that you can really just rely on your usual supply chains. And I'm including the energy delivery system, which is the grid, as just a form of a supply chain. So as all of these systems have been sort of overburdened, you know, we've seen in California, the way that PG&E is, has declared bankruptcy and it's uncertain how much more load they can accommodate on their system and can they be relied upon to deliver electricity to facilities in need, whether those are homeowners or commercial operations. So it has actually gotten to a point where people are willing to pay equal to or in some instances even more on a per kilowatt hour basis or megawatt hour basis because what they like is the certainty of owning, you know, being in control of their fate. So when you have a solar facility on site and in particular the real magic starts to happen when you have a battery to go with it. Yeah. What that means is this, you know, this very sensitive cash crop which is your whole bottom line cannot you know, you don't run the risk of at a critical point in the lifeline of, you know, if you get a multi-day outage at oh, a critical point yeah. in the time, right? you're talking about business interruption could be millions of dollars, right? I mean, you could have a whole. No, you whole, lose a grow. Yeah, yeah, it's. I mean, it's. It can be intense, and so you know, the good news is actually in most instances, the the renewable industry has real, particularly solar, has declined so significantly over the last twenty years or so that we really only build projects when they pencil out to be at least 15% cheaper than your than your grid connection and that's a function of a lot of different things i mean we still are dependent so it's that the the raw uh, raw materials to build solar have just declined precipitously i mean it's we're at less than 10% of what it cost 15 years ago to build uh, you know on the raw materials to build solar um, so supply chains have gotten more sophisticated in that sense it's the incentives it's corporate you know corporate um, programming where, you know, I think corporate social responsibility has dictated in favor of, of renewables. And then you factor in the resilience and decentralization that this offers, 
Um, and it becomes a no-brainer, really. I mean, provided that you have the land space available to do it, which you know, I'm in New York City, so that it might be difficult. But <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't advise cultivating in New York City anyway, uh, yeah. just because the real estate would be so expensive. So when New York goes recreational, you know, upstate New York is a prime is a prime example of where it makes all the sense in the world to build a solar facility. Yeah, because you could, you can actually you know recoup the money or or the the cost of putting it in place, its ability to generate energy, and the the offset that you're making is significant. Yeah, and 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 it depends. There's a lot of different uh, project structures available to us on renewable energy development, whether that's a cash system. I would say most people in the cannabis business who are already sort of sensitive to their capital allocation would not want to pay for the solar on a cash basis. We'd love we'd love to work with people who have that uh, that free cash. Um, but we have a, a roster of investors who are interested in acting as third party financiers to cover the cost of the build out. And then you enter into what's called a power purchase agreement where they would now we would develop and they would own those assets and would be sort of would then sell all of the yield coming off of the solar assets to the facility. So there's yeah. a lot of movement in that space. We're seeing a lot of business model innovation. There are groups in Massachusetts, one group in particular we really like working with, New England uh, Grow Space. And what they do is they go and uh, kind of find great facilities for the actual the, the development of the cultivation itself. They get it permitted. They work through the entitlements process. And then they, they lease those facilities to operators. And so what we're doing now, we're in midway through, is evaluating their portfolio of seven sites across Massachusetts. Ultimately, they're going to need somewhere between 9 and 12 megawatts of power portfolio-wide. Mm, yeah. And we would just sell to actually, and this helps... You know, if, if anyone listening knows the world of solar project finance, they know what a battle it can be sometimes when you're dealing with less than stellar counterparties from a credit perspective. Yeah. And so there's a lot going on in the insurance sector and in the business models, you know, innovation space to now secure an arrangement with the property owner who's in a much more secure footing than, for example, a, a new uh, cultivation operator. Yeah, yeah um, interesting. Uh, yeah, I, I just had a call yesterday with a group in Oakland um, trying to work through a thorny set of issues. And my insurance background is sometimes helpful in that respect uh, as well. So Yeah, yeah I can imagine. So I know you've gotten involved in kind of a couple of different businesses in the cannabis space. Give us a little sense of some of the other areas that you're active in and, and how you kind of got there. I mean, what, how, how has this kind of branched out for you as, a, as an entrepreneur, as a business leader? That has been the more fun of where this has all gone. You know, when you get into the entrepreneurial uh, zeal for your own project, which for us was two and a half years ago, you start to meet great people who you realize have a have a vision that you can you can really support each other. So probably the best instance of that is actually with a group out of Massachusetts STEM cultivation. STEM, to put it to oversimplify it, is has created a modular grow room that draws on a living wall concept. So they basically take your horizontal plane in which most people grow in an indoor facility and they rotate it 90 degrees so that you're now growing up. This yeah. results in unbelievable efficiencies, improvements on yield per square foot. I mean, it, on the order of four to six times the output per, per square foot of facility, um, which also means it's a much more efficient if you're... So it can be more intense, intensive energy consumption when you're looking at it by the... Uh, square footage, and the reason for that is you're actually yeah, growing yeah, now in, in cubic footage. You're not growing in horizontal space, so of course it's more energy intensive. But if you actually divide that energy consumption into your improved yield, then your cost of energy per pound or per gram 
goes down like crazy. I mean, as much as, you know, by 70% or, or even more. And so basically what the way we think about that is STEM has really engineered a way to keep energy efficiency to like just unprecedented levels, but you can't drive, no matter how efficient you are, you can't drive your energy consumption down to zero. So STEM comes in and really drives down energy consumption to as low as it can be. And then we focus on for whatever's left, whatever you are in fact using, how can we keep the rate as low as possible? So it's a really nice match and the modularity of the system makes it that from a renewable energy development standpoint, you're building the same size. So for every one box, we know subject to certain sort of land area constraints, how many solar panels almost to a T we would need. Mm -hmm. And then we would just, it becomes, you know, if you have two boxes, you multiply the number of solar panels by two and and, yep. if, and it scales linearly, which is from a solar energy development perspective, you know, a, a, a dream, much easier than a complicated sort of bespoke situation. Yeah, and uh, when we had um, uh, we had Kyle on the program a while ago. For folks that want to go listen to that episode, we we could dig into all the details. But it's really it's fascinating. It's like three dimensional growing. <laughs> so you kind of take this what has been a two dimensional world, also you make it three dimensional, and and all these interesting things start happening. You know, everything from efficiencies to quality of product to you know even the ease of operation. I mean, once these things are really modularized, you know, you don't have to, well, it's not quite plug and play, but it's, it's about as close as you can get to plug and play in this world at this point. That's the idea. And where we partnered up with Sam a while back and we are making it uh, or trying to make it as plug and play as possible. You know, sort yeah. of a grow, grow room in a kit for dummies. Um, yeah. And then we come in with the energy piece and, you know, and then that ultimately even has implications into other forms of agriculture. And there's exciting opportunities when you think of it in that way. And again, you know, in a COVID reality where supply chains are so stressed it makes all the sense in the world yeah yeah it does seem like there's you've done a great job of kind of taking some pieces that you know and then figuring out what's the next piece that i can couple with this that creates a synergy how do i learn about that and then and then put them together into a real system right so uh yeah i I can see the whole the revolutionizing cultivation side it's you know as a cultivator i'm going to focus on creating a, a cultivar that i that i'm really passionate about and produce a really great quality plan i don't i don't want to be a construction manager i don't want to be an energy you know broker <laughs> i just want to grow right exactly yep so we're agnostic we think of it all as let us be the ones who have fun on the solar piece and worry about it and then we provide the picks and shovels, like I said, and we call yeah. it infrastructure as a service, but it's picks and shovels for these commodity-driven in- industries. Yeah, no, exactly. That's great. Uh, Spencer, this has been great. If, if people want to find out more about you, about the work that you do, about the systems that you have, what's the best way to get that information? Sure. So our website is just www.sangasystems.com. So that's S-A-N, like Nancy, G-H-A systems.com. Or I check my email, an amount that I do do not care to admit, uh, which is, uh, so it's just Spencer at SangaSystems.com. And I'm, you know, where we try to really be responsive and fun to talk to. And we have a lot of interesting projects in the works, you know, and I think that our vision about where the energy future is taking us and how it impacts the cannabis industry is one that we we're really passionate about and want to want to engage folks to see if they can see it the same way. Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. And I love as this industry kind of matures and grows, how there's specialization in all these different factors. And I don't think anyone would have thought too much about, you know, the energy side of it in the, in the very beginning. But, you know, now it's a huge part of a successful cultivation operation. So, Spencer, thank you so much for taking the time today. Great conversation. Good insights. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I'd love to come back. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud. 
with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.